You're listening to the free preview episode of On Belief, a podcast about cults by Karen Geyer. To hear the entire episode, go to patreon.com forward slash Karen Geyer, K-A-R-E-N-G-E-I-E-R, and sign up. It's only $5 for the entire series. This is On Belief, a podcast about cults by Karen Geyer. And uh, the core, and uh, a, a lot of people here, and a lot of people who are on their way here, believe that uh, what we do here and what we offer here is the only shot on this planet, the only hope. You see. But you have to t- to understand that you can't have been destroyed so so radically, conditioned so severely. that you can't understand, mutate it so badly intellectually. That doesn't mean you don't have a lot, of, a lot of shine and a lot of gloss and you don't know how to do this and you don't know how to do that and you don't know how to uh, pose and act and uh, uh, maybe even make money or get by or work the welfare system or whatever the f- you know how to do. You've been listening to a video by Wolf Sendik on his philosophy on life. Zendik Farm is an intentional community. You may know this term better as a commune, where like-minded people who were worried about humanity causing ecocide got together and decided that they were going to start society over. With me today is Helen Zuman, who not only was a part of Zendik Farm, she wrote a book on her experiences. Welcome, Helen. Helen, explain for us, what is an intentional community? So an intentional community is just any group of people who choose to live together, usually with some mission, some set of agreements. And of course, the intentional community would be a group that extends beyond uh, beyond the family, beyond the group of blood relatives. Um, And intentional communities, you you know, the connotation of the term intentional community is that this is a basically healthy, secular group that has some kind of provision for democratic governance. You made studying intentional communities part of your education. Talk to me about that. Towards the end of my time in college at Harvard, I got a grant through my school to explore intentional communities. I was interested in that because I could tell that though I had gone to this very prestigious school, I knew so little about the basics of life, about where food and water and shelter came from. And also I was looking for meaning and belonging. I had spent my last year of college at sort of the 
the resident misfit house. It was called the Dudley Co-op. It was off campus. It was much more communal than living in a dorm. We cooked and cleaned and ordered our food for ourselves. It was the first place where I felt like I had really belonged. And there was like a slightly hippie back to the land ethos and also a culture of being an outsider, questioning the established order of business as usual. So to help with my quest, I got this book called The Communities Directory, published by, it was called the Fellowship for Intentional Community back then. It's now called the Foundation for Intentional Community. They have a website, ic.org, with hundreds of listings for communities all over the world concentrated in North America. So I got this book and I I just I wanted to explore and I was looking I was looking for a place to settle down. I thought ideally I would find a place that was a more permanent version of the co-op, you know, a place where I could feel the same sense of camaraderie with sort of free thinking people who were questioning the dominant paradigm and and settle down there. How did you first learn about Zendik Farm? So I found Zendik Farm in the communities directory. Um, I graduated from college in June of 1999, and I went out west. I went up to Canada. I traveled around a bunch and visited a a number of, of, of communities, some of which I found in the directory and some of which I found other ways. So by the fall of 99, I was back at home in Brooklyn, where I'm from, and, you know, opened the directory again, but this time started from the back with the Z's instead of at the A's, and I found Zendik and read its listing, which was interesting to me, kind of in light of what I had already learned in the very early stages of my quest. So far, I had been to some places that were just very small and didn't really seem like they wanted. What attracted you to Zendik Farm over the other intentional communities? said that they had an apprenticeship program, so they knew what to do with people. They were actively interested in having people show up and try living there. They said they had the youngest average age of any community in the world. That was cool. I was certainly looking to hang out with other young people. And they also said that this was a farm where you could do art. Its official name at that time, I think, was the Zendik Farm Arts Foundation. And I had majored in art in college, and I I was very, very interested in writing and developing as a writer. And so Zendik seemed to combine the best of both worlds in terms of gaining these practical skills that I didn't have at all, and also um, continuing you know, my development as an artist. Who was Wolf Sendik? Wolf Sendik was one of the founders of the farm. He and his partner, Errol, started it in 1969. He was born in 1920. He had a varied career before starting the farm. Um, Part of... Part of that varied career included setting himself up as a guru in Laurel Canyon in Hollywood. Um, I guess this was in the 60s. He was already sort of gathering people around him who were interested in his wisdom. And he had written 
what he calls an autobiographical novel called The Quest Among the Bewildered. It hadn't been published, be published for a long time. But in that book, he cast himself as an as a member of the Beat Generation. Later on, other Zendix would call him an undiscovered beat. Whether he was or not, I don't really know. Um, so he was already developing a bit of a cult of personality. He he met he met Errol, I guess, in the in the late 60s. She was about 20 years younger than he was. And I would say that she became his first follower, like the first person to really kind of give her life to his his philosophies. Um, he considered himself a philosopher. He did a lot of writing and speaking. He actually had a cable access TV show in Austin, Texas for a while when the farm was located there. He would just, you know, rap extemporaneously a lot. He was also a musician. He invented a bunch of instruments. He wrote he wrote novels, um, a number of novels. And he, he, he came up with this with with this 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 philosophy about how the world worked that included cosmic consciousness and what he called the cosmic equation i equals eme i equals elemental energy i can't say it really makes sense but he was and he he also smoked a lot of pot so he would just go on these extemporaneous rants that I think some people interpreted as being brilliant and um, other people just were like, what the hell is this guy? What was it like when you first got there? Okay, so I arrived on October 26th of 1999. I had taken the Greyhound bus from the Port Authority in New York City down to Hendersonville, North Carolina, and waited for a number of hours at the bus station to be picked up by a couple of Zendix who were in town doing the weekly shopping for the farm. In the car on the way to the farm, I saw a Zendik magazine for the first time. Most people who came to Zendik saw the magazine first. That was kind of what got them interested. But since I had found it in a book, I hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen it yet. So I, I looked at the magazine a bit um, in the car. There was an article about Zendix going on a selling trip to sell magazines and music and bumper stickers and stuff um, at the reincarnation of Woodstock that had happened in upstate New York in 1999. And so I kind of got a little bit of, you know, uh, of an idea of what Zendix selling was and that the Zendix sold stuff to make a living, which I had not known about. And, you know, just talked to people who were, you know, who were driving me and, and got a little bit of um, a little bit of a flavor of the farm. So when I, when I got there, the farm had, just moved from Florida to Western North Carolina, you know, a few months earlier, kind of in the spring of 99. So the, the property was pretty, pretty primitive. It had been basically abandoned for a while before the Zendix um, bought it. Um, so when I got there, I was taken up to um, the horse barn. There was a horse barn, a goat barn, and all the new people, um, which at that time it was just me, I was the only woman and there were a bunch of guys. We were all sleeping in an insulated box at the very back of the horse barn loft. And then, you know, a few dozen Zendik 
it was mostly men. I think there was at least one other woman um, were, were sleeping in bunks in the rest of the loft. So that was where I was sleeping. I was kind of shocked to be in this room with all these guys. Um, that was very strangers. I didn't know anything about them. And suddenly I was sleeping in the same room with them. That was a little weird. I was, you know, shown around to the, you know, the, the other, the other parts of the farm. That first, that first evening, I had dinner in the farmhouse, which was sort of the main, the, 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 the center, center of the farm in this, you know, big, you know, fairly cozy living room. We're all sitting on couches and the floor and so on. And, and I remember hearing one, one Zendik woman talk to another one about like having a date that night. And I thought, oh, she's going to, she's going off to town to have dinner and see a movie with her boyfriend. So then why is she eating? Why is she eating dinner? I was, I was confused by that. I would find out later what that meant. Um, but in, in the beginning, you know, I was just, I was really enthralled by all the people I was meeting. They all seemed really smart and confident and practically skilled. They were, you know, mostly pretty friendly to me. And I immediately just jumped into the life of the farm, just, you know, doing whatever work needed to be done and, um, and, and immediately jumping into a pretty intensely social experience. You know, I, from the time I got there, I, I was pretty much with people, you know, most of the time, except when I was sleeping. Generally speaking, with intentional communities, there is a charter or there's a set of rules or there's an agreement that you have to be a part of. So what were the rules at Zendik Farm? Well, so this is actually where I would say there is a distinction between Zendik and an actual intentional community. Again, when I use the the the, the phrase intentional community, I would only use it to, to refer to an to to a, an actual healthy community. Um, at Zendik, there were no written there, there there were no written rules. There were no written guidelines um, for how life worked there or for what was expected of people. Um, that to me is actually you know in hindsight that's a red flag. If you're not able to know in detail upfront how things work, what's expected of you, that's a problem. So, and before I arrived, I talked to one of the Zendiks on the phone and I asked some questions like, how does work work? You know, what, what, what will be expected of me in that regard? And I was told, well, you know, we all just work together to get done whatever needs to be done. We don't have jobs, there's no nine to five, you know, that's all death culture bullshit. Death culture is what we call the outside world. So I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't given, given a clear understanding of the expectations. Um, really, I just, I, I kind of learned what, I, I really learned what the unspoken rules were um, just, from, just from being there. You know, just little by little, how things worked um, was revealed to me. I mean, the, 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 the chief unspoken rule was simply that, you know, anything that Errol said went. Um, there, were, there were other things that were articulated to me sort of on a need-to-know basis. Like when I, when I, soon after I arrived, I was told how dating worked, how male-female relationships were set up, which was that if I was interested 
and a guy, then I would need to, quote, hit him up for a walk, which meant just hanging out, you know, kissing, making out, or a date, which meant getting naked and having sex. And I would, I would make this request through a third party, straighter, short for administrator, I would make the request through that other person. Um, and that was, that, that was a rule. That's, that was how dating worked. Um, and so, so, so there, there were, there were, there were, there were patterns like that, that were explicit, but there was also much that was, that was not explicit that I just, you know, absorbed as time went on. To unlock the rest of this episode, visit patreon.com forward slash K-A-R-E-N-G-E-I-E-R. It's only $5 to unlock over 20 hours of content.